Happy New Year, everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy, uh, happy, I don't know what else everyone celebrates. I feel like saying Happy Festivus is a good way to out yourself as someone who's just, like, permanently, uh, ironic in the way no one likes. Um, hi. Hi to, hi to, hi to the people I'm talking to. Hi to, hi to Paul Walker-Emig and, and Lana Polanski. Hello. Hello. I like Festivus. You like Festivus? I, <laughs> I like Festivus. I like it too. I just feel like there's a lot of people who say that and then like they invite you to a Cards Against Humanity party. Oh, for sure. No, I mean, I I uh, am a Festivus uh, Orthodox purist. So okay. I mean like the pull and the feats of strength and yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Like that's part of it. No, I mean, it's, I has, like... I... Hmm, go ahead. So I've never heard anyone say that word before. So <laughs> it's uh it's it's from the uh it, it took place or was created in the um the American sitcom Seinfeld. So that uh, might be okay. that might be why. You know, you uh, don't take the Christ out of Christmas and you don't take the uh boiling family resentment out of Festivus. <laughs> That's right. I feel like Festivus has become a fun thing where it uh the 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 history of Festivus is that it comes out of uh a deep deep loathing. Right, yeah. Just a pathological family dysfunction. That's Yeah. Yeah. And I Paul, I should emphasize this is from a comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I Seinfeld is very popular uh in Europe as well. I just what? haven't seen it. <laughs> no, I'm just fine. That makes sense. I don't know why I assumed it wouldn't be. Um You're British, so human suffering that's supposed to be funny shouldn't be like a foreign concept to you. No, no, absolutely not, no. That's how we deal with everything bad. Although I found that, like, you know, yeah, the non-election's coming up too. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, by the time by the time people are listening to this, Jeremy Corbyn is going to be prime minister. So it's that's right. Everything's going to be good. Right. I'm excited. Um, yeah, no, actually, I, I'm not sure about the. I'm not sure about like if British people like suffering though, because I remember when I was studying abroad uh, in London, someone. Uh, Someone got stuck in some train doors and me and the other Americans on board laughed at them. Um, and everyone else looked at us like we were like just the worst people. <laughs> That's probably just part of the British thing of um, pretending nobody else exists and not engaging oh. with anything that happens. So they weren't they weren't being like thoughtful. They were just being quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That helps. Um, Canadian politeness is pretty much the same thing. We don't really care. <laughs> I know that about Canadians. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've, when I was in Toronto for a conference, I, I realized this about Canadians. They're just, they're just like us. Yeah. Um, no, we're we're psychotic. <laughs> Do you, uh, you and you and uh, your Prime Minister Fidel Castro's son? That's right. <laughs> Worst possible fail son it's possible to have. <laughs> That's correct. Um, well, it's it's a good one. I mean, at least it's sort of. Uh, I don't know. At least it makes all the rampant blackface more interesting. Can I? I don't know. It, it makes can. me wish. It makes me wish that Hunter Biden was our prime minister. <laughs> I think. I think the 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 sudden resurgence of people wanting Hunter Biden to rule them is <laughs> uh, it is very very telling of our current moment in history. Well, he's relatable. <laughs> he likes going to strip clubs um and who among us uh but he likes getting kicked out of strip clubs and who among us <laughs> uh but we're here actually to talk about the time of the, the time of uh of the world the time of the time of the moment because it's the end of 2019 um and while people uh, myself included are putting out various uh all deck all decade lists um mm -hmm. we're 
we're looking at video games today from a uh, a slightly more uh, manageable framework. We are talking about best of the year. Yeah. So I was thinking, and you guys can tell me if you agree, I was thinking we could go around and each give our number five and then our number four, number three, number two, number one, and, uh, and you know, just like give as much or as little detail as we want on it. I figure we'll, this will be maybe like a 45 minute episode. We'll sort of have a little fun and uh, I'll get you guys back to your afternoons or in Paul ca- Paul's case, the evening. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds it's- like a good system to me. Wonderful. Um, well, I would like to start, let's see, we'll do, we'll do snake draft style alphabetical order, which means that we'll do. Uh, last name, uh, so Lana, okay. then then me, then Paul, and then Paul, then me, then Lana, then Lana, then me, then Paul. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm starting. That's what made sense to me. Yeah. Oh, and Paul, uh, uh, well, Lana and Paul, before we start, uh, this is going to be put in multiple places. So my podcast is No Cartridge, but you also do things, media things online. You should yeah. say them before we start and at the end. Yeah, my podcast is uh, Utopian Horizons, which is a podcast about Utopia, as you can guess. Um, Trevor's been on it before. So I have. I'm guessing some people that L- Lana's going to be on it as well, uh, in some fashion as well. But I'm, I'm still waiting for an audio contribution for somebody for that. So huh, Funny. wonder who that could be. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, Lana, what, <laughs> what do you do? What, I, I know what you do, but I'm asking. Is I run I a Twitch. Uh, okay, I'm I'm a I'm a critic. I I'm also like I'm. I hate calling myself an artist, but you know I I illustrate. I write. I sometimes make games. Um, I write pretty much freelance. A lot of stuff I write is for like like art journals, like Rhizome. I I recently wrote something about Death Stranding for this Italian art magazine called Kaleidoscope. Cool. Um. Which you can only get in print, I think. I sometimes do reporting. I sometimes do labor reporting. I'm kind of all over the place. And I also run a Twitch called The Freak Museum where I just play, like, really weird games. Nice. Perfect. Well, you're very good at knowing really weird games. Your your recommendations have never led me astray. Um, Cool. Well, uh, with that sort of, like, teaser in mind, uh, Lana, what's your, what's your number five? And these don't actually have to, you don't have to commit to this in an order. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm willing to change everything except my number one. So, uh, so yeah, just, so, you know, whatever. Okay, so I have way more than five here. Okay, you can go <laughs> But, uh, I guess I'll start with Zell. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, Z-E-L-L-E. Um, by this uh, Japanese developer called Fuming. And it was... So all the really cool, uh, interesting Japanese indie games are distributed by the same distributor called Playism. Um, Yeah, Playism's great. They're sort of like the A24 of Japanese indie games. Um, So if something cool and weird and different comes out of Japan, it's like, you know, 90% chance that it's them. Mm -hmm. Um, Zell is a horror point-and-click game. Um, I played it on my stream... Uh, it's really not very long. I played it in about, like, two short sessions. So it maybe took a couple hours at most to play. Um, and it's this point-and-click game where you're this kid, uh, who is bestowed with this, um, sort of mystical, quasi-religious kind of power to slay demons. Hmm. You're given this rosary, 
by um, this goddess figure. You're trapped in this mansion. You wake up and you're trapped in this mansion and you're not sure how you got there and you're trying to get out. And the mansion is full of these like really horrible, grotesque, uh, demonic figures, sort of like Shin Megami Tensei. Um, I'm definitely there for that. Yeah. But you don't collect them or anything. You just beat them up. Or form, fr- or form friendships with them that help you later on. But, you know, um, you don't, like, form a party or anything like that. It's all point and click, and, and um, the the combat is really interesting. Um, so it's color matching. Oh. So you have these three rosaries, and they're three different colors. There's a blue one, a yellow one, and a red one. And the way that the combat works is you have to look into the eyes of the demon, so you can't look away no matter how gross it is. Um, and then determine like based on the color of the eyes which rosary to use and they they mix it up so like the colors will change at the last minute or it'll appear in weird patterns um where you have to like you have to click really quickly um to get the right color because it'll change on you or it'll be moving in a weird pattern that'll be like like the i find that the best strategy there is to just like leave your mouse in one place and then just click when the right (laughs) color shows up um that's the easiest way to go about it um, and you're sort of like that, that's the, the cool, scary part. Um, you know, walking through this big, scary mansion and, and encountering these demons, but there's all the, also this, it, there's like a horror comedy element to it too. It's kind of sweet. There's all these weird tonal shifts. Um, it's Fun. got this very bittersweet ending. It's weirdly touching, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's, uh, over the top and very cartoonish, but there's like a there's a core of it that's very sweet and sentimental, um, and it's beautiful. Like it's a visually very stunning game, uh, nice. so I highly recommend Zell. It's very cool. Cool. All right, uh, Zell, Paul. Oh, oh wait, no, it's me. It's me. It's not Paul. Break your own system. I know, and I actually even I said it on the podcast, so I can't even pretend. No, I can have someone edit it out. Uh, but um, <laughs> no, uh, my number five this year, I the bottom of my list is very unfocused. And I'm just going to say this because I spent too much time playing it. Um, I don't know if it's really my number five game of the year, but I, I'm waiting um, very patiently uh, for for edits on my um, on my piece for EGM for it. But uh, seeing as I don't have those edits, I'll talk about it here. Um, I... I enjoyed playing uh death stranding i think it's it basically falls in the in the um uh red dead redemption 2 category for me which is like i recognize that a lot of people put a lot of work into this i don't think i enjoyed it nearly as much as everyone else like it you know didn't do that much for me but um it was it was definitely an accomplishment for those people um i will say i think its politics are uh not great um uh, they are like basically uh how to say this like they are uh at best illegible and at worst and and probably what they are um just like weirdly america focused where like any critique of america ends up just being like well you know what though we got to get that old america back um or even if you wanted to say he's critiquing america and this is sort of what my article's about like the the game botches it botches any sort of like um actual claim so much that you can't honestly say that you're sure he's critiquing it or uh claiming we should have more of it or whatever it's it's kind of an illegible game but the uh, play loop hmm? sorry i was gonna ask is there there's a sense then because i've played this is Mm -hmm. there's a sense there's a sense that he's explicitly trying to 
well, I shouldn't say he, the team, Hideo Kojima or whatever, trying to make uh, some explicitly political comment. Yeah, although there's an attempt there, but it, it, it doesn't pan out very well mm. um sounds like a kojima game <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, no, it's, it's absolutely right like other than it's funny because like the I've, I'm, I'm playing these games for a book proposal i'm working through all of kojima's uh, metal gear games and the first two metal gear solids are actually like fairly legible politically i mean they have their problems but like their politics are very straightforward and not bad and um i was like huh everyone has these problems with the kojima's things but they're all pretty obvious i think and like, then i got to three and death stranding and it's like oh yeah okay wait i see what people are saying um but yeah like the 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 point of like death stranding seems to be something like um something like america isn't about the things donald trump thinks america's about um america's about connection but actually, America's bad too. But in the end, who's to say what's good or bad? Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Like it's, it's certainly not us, the writers in this game. I am doing the jack off motion into the microphone. <laughs> now, the good the good thing about the game is the play loop. I thought the play loop was really fun because it and like if if I had played, I am too formal with these lists. I have not gotten to Shadowbringers in Final Fantasy fourteen. If I had, I probably would make that one of my top five games because. Um, Final Fantasy XIV's MMO thing uh, directly speaks to my horrible brain um, in the same way that Death Stranding very much speaks to my horrible brain, which is get mission, go to place, resolve mission, get get numbers, go to place, resolve mission, get numbers. And you get to build roads and stuff. And the, I, I will say, like, the mechanic of community building along with the people on your server is fun. Like, there's the play loop itself of delivering stuff is fun. It, it, if, it, if you have the kind of brain for it, I can't say, like, it's for everyone. Um It'll depend on your taste, basically. Yeah. Uh, but if you like that kind of thing, if you like uh, big open world games and and sort of repetitive play loops that get a little more rewarding over time, uh, it's going to be a game you get a lot out of. Um, just I would say the story is just as half-baked as everyone's telling you it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I definitely, I definitely want to play it. It sounds interesting, but... Interesting, yes, yeah, des- for sure. The way, the way you're describing... Go here, make the numbers go up. It doesn't sound like I'll enjoy it that much because I don't think my brain works that way. But it's it's not. Let me let me say this based on our other episode. It's not Snatcher. It's not like a narrative that needs an excuse for a game. It's a game that clearly needed an excuse for a narrative. Mm. Mm. I think. I mean, I do. I do want to play it, but I do think there is a tendency, like with Kojima, especially because he's a guy who tries to be explicitly political to the extent that I guess he can. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll sort of talk around whatever point he's trying to make. And I wonder if it's just him being weirdly careful and sort of like not trying to offend any sensibilities. Cause I mean, here's, here's a guy who's made like a lot of money yeah, doing right. the things that he's been doing. So of course his earlier games are more legible and more coherent and have better politics. And then as he's able to sort of work his way through the industry <laughs> and make all these connections and kind of you know, have be- basically create a situation where he has a lot to lose. Yeah, you don't want to kill the golden mm-hmm. goose. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have class solidarity with the people who have you know given him that. So his politics are gonna get less coherent, and he's gonna get more indulgent over time. Yeah, for sure. And I think like one of the things I say in the review um, is, and I, it's what I wholeheartedly believe about this game is that it is basically just like Kojima's taken his main three themes which are uh parentage uh so like what you know 
who who are you born from? Who is your who are your parents? It's something that's very interesting to him, particularly fathers and sons. Uh, it will surprise you not at all to learn that the mother is not particularly important, although she shows up in this game. She's not absent, so that's something. Um, uh, the extermination of the human race and and uh, and like sort of apocalypse scenarios and um, a a heaven or hell strictly for soldiers. Um, those three themes are <laughs> forefront in the Metal Gear series, we all know, but also in uh, Death Stranding, and they just, uh, they're not the right themes. So it's its probably part class solidarity and probably also part, like, he just doesn't have any more interests. <laughs> but I've talked too much. Paul, Paul, uh, give us your number five. Okay, well, my number five is a, what I would call a utopian game. Um, okay, cool. It's called A Bewitching Revolution. It's like a short game that's maybe, I don't know, an hour or so, something like that. And it's um, made by Colestia, who makes tends to make games about capitalism and stuff. Mm. And it's a game where you play as a communist witch who comes into a capitalist dystopia that has, you know, the problems that a capitalist dystopia has, poverty, surveillance, um, inequality, climate problems, etc., etc., And you have to kind of try and influence a change there. So you do that by, you walk around and you can kind of um, throw out like a little magic ball um, that will uh, change the things that it, it hits. So for example, you can change like um, propaganda posters into solar panels. But the, the main nice. thing you do the main thing you do is you do tarot readings for um, the people in the city. So you find people have problems. So workers in a fast food restaurant, for example, of what appears to be a fast food restaurant where they're being exploited and they'll say to you, which of the city will you tell me my future? Um, what I really like about it is you don't tell them their future. You kind of open up the possibility for a future that they are able to define i guess so to give an example so i've written down one of the readings here um uh, these um, fast food workers you say to them to a business owner this is their tarot reading to a business owner Mm -hmm. each worker is expendable but without workers there would be no business if a worker is alone their fate is determined by their bosses but if workers are united they can take the future into their own hands so it's pretty obvious um uh, I was guess you could call it a polemic, an anti-capitalist polemic, but I like the way that these readings don't actually tell people what they can do or what they should do. They just kind of give a diagnosis and uh, a kind of um, analysis of structures of power, and then those people go off and do things themselves. So you, you're not, as opposed to a lot of games where you're like the sole agent of change who is there, you know, doing everything fighting everybody and what happens in this game is you're kind of building a movement that chugs along by itself so this city is very small but it's quite evocative of being a bigger place and the more you do the more there's people you see people moving around changing things in the city themselves and it just kind of builds and builds to this uh moment of revolution i suppose and yeah it's a cool uh it's a cool game that um obviously fits into my interests and I think represents the idea of utopia um really well. Nice. That game is actually on my list, so I'm glad you mentioned it cuz 
it frees oh, me cool. up a little bit. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah, it sounded like a Lana game when you were talking about it, so I was going to say. Um, well, I I hate to make you talk so much, Paul, but it's a snake draft. Uh, give us your number oh, four sure. now. Okay. Uh, my number four is Apex Legends. Oh, yeah. Um, no, that's a good one. Yeah. So I haven't played... At this point, I haven't played any Battle Royales. I wanted to play a few of them, but... What was what's the other, um what was the PUBG isn't it the yeah I'm getting PUBG and Fortnite yeah Fortnite I wasn't really interested in PUBG I didn't have any money at the time so I didn't play it <laughs> but um so this I think I think probably quite a lot of the reason I like this is because this is the first battle royale I've played and it does the things that battle royales do that people like so that's kind of my first experience of that genre. And you were into PUBG, weren't you, Trevor? I was for a bit. I was never really good at it, but I do like playing it. It's it has that, uh, and, and Apex does this. I honestly like Apex is. Uh, I hate to I hate to actually like make the comparison because it's a little rude and like not generally how I like to think about games. But like, yeah, I, I think I, I think Apex just does PUBG better. Like, I think uh, the things Apex does in the game increase the kind of tension you have and the the competition. Um, the one problem is everyone's just really good at it. Uh, so I've I've never ever tried like to to get good at it because it's just like I mean there's truly no chance I'm ever going to be. Um, yeah, well I, that's why I don't play anymore. <laughs> but, um, it's, this is because I I don't really I don't play multiplayer games that much anymore. But I think I just I started with this right when it came out, and mm-hmm. it's just I, I think I I got into this in a way that I haven't got into a multiplayer game. I don't know, since like Modern Warfare 2 or something. Sure. It's a long time. And I just got really obsessed with it and somehow managed to find time for it. Nice. And, uh, well, that's yeah, the beauty it, of, of Battle Royales too, is you can play one and then quit. Like, it's yeah, not like... obviously, yeah. But then obviously it's, the problem is then I stopped playing it for a bit and now it's just everybody's too good. And yeah, sure. Too much has changed. I don't want to get insulted by teens. So. <laughs> You're not gonna. <laughs> Who among I mean, none of us want to be insulted by teens? I, I think or that's like that's like the universal. Children, yeah, I uh, that is the universal fear. I believe is being insulted by teens. I was actually quite lucky on it in terms of when I did play with random people. They were. I think apart from like one time, they were always really nice and friendly. So I just got lucky. I got uh, really into Rocket League for a while. Oh, yeah. And I would play it at kind of weird times when only the hardcore Rocket Leaguers were playing. (laughs) That was a mistake. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, and they're really mean. (laughs) But even the people that are really bad at it are really mean. Yeah. They're they're awful and they're telling you how terrible you are. can you be this mean about rocket league <laughs> seriously it's i mean it's it's a game where you play soccer with cars i don't understand go karts yeah people people really should be nicer but no actually the one time i played rocket league and I, I really should play it again but i'm scared of playing online games for the same reason you were all talking about i played it with uh with um stefan heck of the go off kings on my 24 hour stream and i was terrible at it and stefan's pretty good at it but because he's Stefan uh, and just like a really nice guy, uh, he was he was just like really nice about it, and the whole time he was like, "You're doing great! Like that was a really good move!" And like it was very encouraging. And I was like, "Oh, if only it all could be like this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, my uh, number four is um, these. It, it really is funny because like the bottom four were like weird for me, and number one and and to a smaller degree, number two were obvious. But I think what I'm going to say today, and it may not be what I say tomorrow, is um, uh, Jenny Leclue, Detective Vu. Um, okay. Oh. <laughs> also on your list? No, it just sounds interesting. Oh, it's great. It's on my list after I listen to your episode on it. Yeah, it's it is a lovely game. Um, it uh, so basically the whole game is uh, you are playing as a um, as a detective, like sort of like a Nancy Drew stand-in, um, and you're trying to solve a mystery in your town. But the cool thing about it is like um, you you know you also are kind of playing as an author who's writing all these books and has like a successful series, and so like you never play as the author, but your the frame story is the author's writing this book and his agent saying like, look, no one cares about Jenny LeClue anymore. Uh, it was good for a while, but like now the kids want more violent stuff. So either like make this intense or, you know, we're not going to publish it anymore. And he's super conflicted about it. Um, so the story basically follows this conflict and ends up being like this really, really interesting exploration of um, the, uh, becomes a super interesting exploration of like the girl detective genre, like the Nancy Drew genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes this great sort of like reading of choice and like genre and, and like being consistent to your, uh, you know, to your characters or to your, um, uh, to your vision. Uh, and, and it, it ends on a, on a cliffhanger, which has made some people pretty irritated. Um, I don't mind. I don't really care. Uh, but, I will say it definitely makes me want to play the rest of it because it's a little point and click. It's not hard, um, but it is extremely gripping um, and just like uh, it's fantastic. Um, so you should definitely try it out. Uh, it's by uh, I, I forget Joe McGrathy. Um Joe did it. So you can find him online. He's a uh, he's a fantastic designer and a wonderful guest as well. So play play Jenny LeClue. My other stand-in for number four, and if I had a ten uh, thing list, this would definitely be on there as well. Was um, NeoCab, uh, which is great, and uh, okay. I would recommend it for a lot of the same reasons. Huh. Lana, okay. Um, looking at my list, I don't. I'm not good at like ranking things, so it's just don't take my um, number four as like a definitive. This is the number four. I'm just okay. sort of picking off and what I, you know, whatever jumps out at me. So I'm going to pick 10 beautiful postcards by the Catamites. Okay. Um, Paul, if you remember, I chose a, a Catamites uh, space funeral for yep. your project. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of his. Um, there was uh, another game that came out, I think, a year before called Glimby uh, that I wrote a review for. 10 beautiful postcards I streamed a little bit of. Mm-hmm. Um how to describe it um so you play as this well steve and the catamites makes these little sort of frog-like creatures sort of anthropomorphic frog-like creatures uh that sort of populate his his universe um and this frog-like creature is collecting postcards so you're you're walking through this big expansive world um it's top down um it's a world that's kind of constructed, it's kind of a pastiche, like a lot of his kind his kind of games are kind of just built out of different sorts of assets. Um, mm-hmm. So it's this 2D game, it's top down, um, and there's a sort of like 
flatness to everything he does. There's, um, so it's like built out of pieces of other postcards and it's built out of uh, just like sort of a motley of different textures and colors and things. So there's like cities and towns and you walk through them and you're just trying to find these 10 different postcards. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. And it's sort of, it's sort of like that Borgia story about the, the army that, or the cartographers that made an entire map out of the entire world. And then that just became the world. Right. That's kind mm. of what it feels and looks like. Okay. So, and then you sort of walk through this world and it's, it's mostly just kind of vignettes of like, you know, meeting the different characters, helping them solve their minor little problems. Um, and it's very funny and sarcastic because all of his games are very funny and, and very acerbic. And he does this thing and he does this a lot with his games where he sort of chides the player. Okay for hoping or expecting anything of uh, greater significance to come out of the experience. It's kind of uh, charming in a way. It doesn't feel insulting, but it does sort of feel like, you know, don't get caught up in a sense of um, like uh, self-importance as you're playing this. Just have a good time. Okay. That's nice. I kind of yeah, like that. It, he's, he's a very interesting guy and it's just, I always pick games that are like really, really hard to describe. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's basically just sort of this, I guess you would call it an open world adventure game. There's no, um, there is a critical path, but like you can go kind of off in any direction and uh, collect the postcards in any order you want to. And you're okay. just sort of like walking around the world, um, discovering nice. what's in it. That sounds great. Um, it sounds, it reminds me the way you're describing it, and it's, I mean, honestly, it's, it probably has nothing to do with this, but it reminds me of it because of. Uh, the postcard element, uh, it reminds me a little of um, Gorogoa, uh, how you're describing it, but I, I doubt it's very similar. But it, it no. sounds very cool. Yeah, well, the, the postcards that you read um, suggest that there's a sort of like off-screen character that oh, cool. the avatar knows on some level. Um, and that like you're you're catching up with this person or trying to stay in touch with this person via the postcards. Or they're... They're, oh, okay. they're staying in touch with you and you have to like find the postcards in the world and hmm. it's sort of a puzzle cool that sounds great uh and what is your next game that is super hard to describe uh let me see let me see let me see uh well so is this for number four or number three now technically for number three okay uh i guess i'm gonna go with fight crab Okay. It's a little easier to describe, that's so, actually. So good. I love Fight Crab. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one from a streaming, right? Uh, yeah, I did stream that one. Yeah, so that's a new soft game. Uh, again, distributed by Playism. So it's a Japanese indie game. Um, so new soft pretty much only makes games about deep sea creatures. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good. <laughs> as as they should. Yeah. Uh, so they had a previous game, uh, Ace of Seafood, <laughs> which is a, a very different. It's more like a flight sim type of thing, um, slash, uh, third person shooter. Um, Fight Crab is more, it's described as like a wrestling game. So it's like a, it's like a 3D third person fighting game, um, mm -hmm. where, I think that there there is actually like a competitive and like a co-op mode, but I played the campaign. Okay. Or such as it existed in, I guess, I think it was an alpha when it came out. Um, so I, I, and it's been um, updated since then. 
So I think it's like still currently in development, but you can play what exists of it right now and they're going to keep adding things, I think. Um, and yeah, you just, you're a crab <laughs> and you fight. It sounds like it's a crab version of one of my favorite games, uh, EDF. Yeah, well, it's like a just crab. Just fight what's in front of you. Pretty much. It's just like a crab. It's like a hack and slash fighting game I where you can use your pincers as a weapon, but there's also like weapons in the world. And all the worlds are all like very, like vastly different. So it's like you could be like walking through a district in like a feudal Japan, or you can be on top of a dinner table um, with a big spread <laughs> and like. You know, or you can be in a medieval castle, um, and you're you're fighting other crabs or lobsters, various crustaceans, what have you, <laughs> uh, using various weapons to do so. So you know, you you could have swords, mallets, whatever. Nice. Whatever you can pick up with your little pincers. Whatever, whatever you can use to destroy the humans or whatever. Do you fight humans? No, you only fight other crustaceans, but in. Here's and here's the the really compelling aspect of it in thoroughly human environments. Oh, okay, right. So sure. Cities and towns and dining room tables, um, but there are no humans. There, it's only it's only crustaceans. I love that. It's a, a vision of the future there. <laughs> sure, why not? It's kind of a better future. I like it. It's it's, it's so fun. I, I call it utopian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, then it's time to for ni- my number three. Um, uh, my number three is that I I always feel like I this is like the opposite of most reviewers. I always feel like I have to include some AAA games on my lists because I do play them and I do enjoy some of them. I think I would probably just include all indie games and I'll probably mention most of the indie games. The top two are. Um, but, uh, this one, I actually, I had a lot of fun with, um, I'm a big FromSoft head, so it's not super surprising, but I was surprised that people had divided feelings on this. And I feel like it was a game that as a result didn't get as much, uh, press and love as it maybe could have, but, uh, I really enjoyed Sekiro. Um, I this thought is Sekiro also was three. you know, so Fight Crab is a lot like Sekiro in a way. Okay. No, I buy <laughs> that actually. I totally buy that. Without like the story element. Yeah, no, I mean, that, and that would be fine. Uh, I actually like the story in Sekiro, but, like, I would also say that the story in Sekiro is so um, uh, elusive in some ways. Like, it's, it's, very, it's very ephemeral and, like, and, and kind of, like, in the background and, and suggestive that um, it would be okay without story, too. It would just be a little different. Um, but, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed Sekiro. I thought it was very fun. Um, I liked the battle. I liked the, the sort of, like, uh, battle mechanics a lot. I thought the... The shift from traditional FromSoft games where you are, uh, you know, focusing on uh, maximizing your build and all this stuff uh, and, like, dodging stuff was really, really – it was a neat departure to just be like, okay, you get, like, one build and the main thing you're doing is you are parrying. Parrying is the only thing that you have to do in this game. And, like, it really, really worked for me. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, I just, I thought it was fun. I thought it was really enjoyable. Um, I would absolutely uh, recommend it to anyone. Um, I think even people who don't usually like AAA games, it, there's something very enjoyable about it. Um, I don't know if they've included like an easy mode or not yet. I think this is a, a topic of some debate on my own Discord, but I think if there's any game that would benefit from an easy mode that is sort of like in the uh, Soulsborne category, it would be Sekiro, because it is a beautiful game that feels good to be good at 
um, which is different than the Souls games. Uh, Paul, you also had that as number three? Yeah. Um, please, talk, thought- please talk more about it then. <laughs> <laughs> similar thoughts to you. Um, I don't think it has like the, the atmosphere of something like Bloodborne. Like I don't think it kind of Bloodborne kind of infected my brain in a way where like I was falling asleep and like thinking about it, which isn't the most pleasant thing. But um, yeah, so I I don't think Sekiro has that. But um, yeah, just like you really, really enjoyed the combat system. Um, I've never really done the parrying thing much in Souls games before, just because that always seemed like a thing that people who are really good do. Um, yeah. like I did a little bit in Bloodborne, but not, not very much. Whereas because this game kind of is built around that and forces you to do that, you kind of, you kind of have to get good at it. Um, yeah, you can't if, beat if the game unless you understand you the parrying mechanic. You, it, it, I really enjoyed the fact, cause, cause Bloodborne for, or Dark Souls, you can always, if you've got the fear, you can, you know, you're just gonna play, you, you know, be very defensive or like very on your back foot. Whereas this just, this game just makes you chuck that out the window and just go, okay, I just have to, you know, go in like fully aggressively and then it'll either work or it won't. And that's fine. And right. making you have that kind of commitment, just you, you've got no choice but to commit to the combat system. And once you get it, I can't think of anything that's been as satisfying for me. Like particularly the, the, uh, Genichiro boss fight. I think was when it really clicked for me. I don't know if that was one that you enjoyed. Yeah, but no, for sure. Just, I... just mastering that and being like, yes, I can. I, I get this game now. I, I get the combat system completely. I feel like Genichiro I'm was mine good at too. This. Definitely yeah. that and uh, and Lady Butterfly. I really enjoyed those. Um, yeah, yeah. I just I I thought I thought they basically like they took on a new sort of uh, a new sort of idea for their games and and did a great job. And I feel like. A lot of people wanted uh, Bloodborne 2 or, or another Souls game or something like that, and they got this instead and were disappointed. I was, I honestly, I was happy they were trying something new. As much as I like Souls games, I thought maybe it would just be like too much uh, if it was another one, and I, I still think that, even though probably we're going to get another Souls game any day now. Um, yeah. Lana, what's yours? I'm going to go ahead. This is my number two. I'm going to go ahead and just put it out there. Uh, Untitled Goose Game ah, by House House. Good and that is, uh, to be noted, not my number one. So um, what could possibly have beat out Untitled Goose Game? Um, <laughs> which is great. Um, it's basically flawless. Uh, I mean, we all know by now because everyone on the internet seems to have played it. Even people who don't play games seem to have been. Yeah, all of a sudden, everyone is interested in Goose Game, right? I mean, that was just like it was a it was an absolute phenomenon. Yeah, and okay, I'm gonna go off on a little bit of a rant right now. <laughs> um, I love the fact <laughs> that I, I love the fact that this game got people who are previously not at all interested in in the technical arts to pay some attention. To, you know, oh, this is um, a really cool, interesting experiment in foray into um, the kind of thing that a video game can do, um, that it could really be anything, and it doesn't necessarily have to hew to, you know, whatever conventions you think games have to hew to in order to be legitimate. Um, right. And it could have, like, a kind of broad universal appeal without necessarily appealing to our worst instincts. Um that said, though, it is a game about being an asshole, 
So, <laughs> but you're it, it's you're it's charming because you're a goose and it's basically harmless. Right. Sure. So you know, there's a certain degree of like, I think most people kind of crave a certain degree of catharsis and a certain degree of liberation of like, what if I could test certain boundaries that in polite society I probably would be reprimanded for for testing, but in if I'm in the person of a goose, you know, who's to stop me? Yeah, and actually, in some ways, that makes it even more fun than like a you know your your various grand thefts auto. In that, like, you're not since you're a goose, and since it's like, oh yeah, we're just like you're just this is purely hypothetical. It is it is hypothetical in such a way that like there is not you're not even like thinking about oh am I hurting this person because you're a goose you're doing something totally different than hurting the Except person. Except for that 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 nerd kid that <laughs> you repeatedly <laughs> right, saw. Sure. Right, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> But um, it's, like, transgressive without being, like, inhuman. You know, like, there's a certain, like, level of boundary testing that's permissible. But right. it's not, like, gross and violent, really. Um, right, yeah. So I think that's part of its appeal. And it's very cute and it's very colorful. And it's really well put together. And, yeah, so you have this, you're a, a goose. And you come out of, uh, you know, you, you, you come out of, like, a valley and you go into this like little small it's an australian game um so i'm just going to assume it's like a small australian town with an in, a, a very noticeable class discrepancy oh okay <laughs> like, right. yeah sure no you good know, point there's like the, the regular sort of working class people who like run the shops and whatever and then there's like you know the guy with the fountain in his backyard um and i i took um like there are certain characters in the game that um I, I don't, like, want to spend my time harassing, almost. Like, I would rather... Like, there are these two very lovely women that you see at a bar, and you can kind of, like, dance for them. Oh, yeah. You don't really, you don't really like, bother them in any way, and they like you, and that's sort of part of the end game. So, like, your, your, your goose has, like, a redemptive arc, <laughs> in a way. But, <laughs> such, you know, such as it needs one, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there are, like, certain characters, like, you know, the guy with the fountain where you, you, like, you know, steal his pipe and you steal his, like, slippers or whatever and throw them in the fountain. And you mess with him and his, uh, his other wealthy neighbor. Um, and I took more pleasure in doing that than some of the other <laughs> tasks on my to-do list. Of course, of course. Why wouldn't you? Uh, you know, like, breaking someone's expensive vase is... It's a lot right. of fun, you know, and, yeah, um, of you know, it, and that, that is a sort of wish fulfillment. So I think that is kind of interesting that it got people to sort of understand the appeal of that in games. But at the same time, there is like a little part of me. I'm a little bit of like, I feel a little bit like Rob Van Dam, who complains about these new guys coming up Jack in my style. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how I feel a little bit about this. It's like, I love the fact that this game is popular and it got people interested. At the same time, though, I've been hacking away at this for so long. And I've been trying right. to get you to pay attention to the many, many, many games like this that exist that are very interesting. Um, but okay, fine. If it's if it's what if the goose game is what gets you to finally pay attention, then okay, fine, whatever. I guess it's fine. Nice. Yeah. No, I mean that's true. I think like that's that's kind of how I feel about a lot of indie games where like I'm I kind of want to be the first one, uh, and it's like, well, you're not. But the good news is, <laughs> like, other people care about this now. Yeah. Um, cool. And, uh, you get one more. I get one more? You get one more. I'm gonna pick Hypnospace Outlaw. Ah, uh, well, now I can go short on mine, because that was my, uh, number two. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Hypnospace Outlaw by Tendershoot. 
Um, so the developer, the lead developer on that, Jay Tholen, um, German guy, uh, pr- uh, prior to this made another uh, more of a point-and-click adventure game called Dropsy, mm-hmm. which I wrote about. Very, very cool game. He's a really, really pleasant guy. I, I talked to him a little bit. He's uh, super nice. Maybe the nicest man in games? Potentially, yes. <laughs> yeah. Just this very gentle soul. Um, Hypnospace Outlaw is a a similarly structured kind of um, point-and-click puzzle game to Dropsy, but presented in a very different way. But the way that uh, he and, I guess, the, the rest of the developers at Tendershoot, the way they structure puzzles is very similar. There's a lot of like lateral thinking, and you have to be able to make all kinds of connections to, in order to, to solve the puzzles. Um, which is uh, a very um, almost purist kind of uh, puzzle design um, mm, that, yeah. that goes goes back a ways. Like, you know, like original sort of puzzle, point-and-click puzzle games are kind of structured this way, which is very interesting and cool and very clever, but also very frustrating because these, these games don't really come with guides. Um, yeah, I, I remember, like, getting the good ending in um, Hypnospace was tricky. It, worth it, but tricky. Yeah, so so Hypnospace is a, a similar kind of point-and-click puzzle game that is structured as a collection of what are almost like GeoCities websites. Yeah, it's amazing. If you've ever been on the internet in 1999, uh, boy, is it exactly correct? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, I was a, a little bit past that, so for me, it was all like uh, Angel Fire. Yeah, sure. No, my, my site was on Angel Fire. Yeah, I... Although I, I I could have chosen between uh, GeoCities and Angel Fire, that was the uh, and I picked Angel Fire and I stand by it. <laughs> so I think I had something with GeoCities. Did you Utopian GeoCities? But anyway, sorry, Lana. <laughs> yeah, so it's um, it's the sort of speculative like near future uh, setting where you you enter the inner like the um hypnospace which is like the version of the internet that exists in the game via sleep yeah so it's like a dream space and you have to wear this like headset and then you enter the dream space but um like you see it as though it's just like a collection of websites so you have to imagine that you're the your avatar is this character that's asleep in bed and you're pointing and clicking through these websites right and um there's all sorts of different ones. Like there, there's different like zones. Like there's a cafe zone and like a music zone and like a, a online marketplace and all kinds of stuff like that. And all sorts of different pages dedicated to different things. And as you um, like cycle through the websites, you come to discover like sort of the people behind those pages, like the people who who post on them and who who update them and stuff like that. Um, and they all again like they all have their various sort of problems in need of solving and you kind of help them do that yeah and i mean i i i'm going to stop i'm going to stop and say don't don't give away any more because i think like the discovery of what is happening in the game and the way the plot interacts with the actual space is so good yeah Um, so there's a there's a there's a a sinister undercurrent yes uh, which is obvious from the beginning that's not getting anything away no 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 but there's a sort of like um it's very sort of like uh, and, and this is something I, because I, I get kind of bored with like a uh, grimdark kind of dystopian science fiction. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, it's very on the nose and not very fun. Um, but I think a, uh, a much better uh, reflection of the dystopia we actually live in is one that's like garish and brightly colored. Um, because that's, that is our dystopia. It's not, 
it's not grim and gross. I, I mean, there is that element there. There is that uh, definite um, uh, lived reality that is very grotesque. But the way that we engage with it a lot of the time, the way that the propaganda of our current hellscape presents everything is very infantilizing and yes. and, and over the top and very colorful. So I, I relate to that more, and it's also more fun to to actually like engage with. I think it's a it's a it's a brilliant game. It's just like I, it's it's hard to describe, and I think because it's hard to describe that that is sort of a maybe this is like overdetermining it a bit, but because it's so hard to describe, and you kind of just like have to play it, um, it just kind of like it's more fun. <laughs> I don't know. It's great. It's so good. That's all the like I, I have an easier time describing like Hypnospace Outlaw than I do say like 10 beautiful postcards mm-hmm, um but mm-hmm. only because i have something else to compare it to makes that sense. makes it a little easier yeah. um but it's still like a very unique thing i don't really think i mean there are other games that are structured like other indie games that i've played that are sort of structured like web pages but not many that i can think of that sort of create a whole narrative out of it um it's a really really unique game yeah it's Very really cool, cool. um Cool. Paul, your number two. Okay, my number two is Outer Worlds. Ah, you uh, took my number one! Well, now I don't even have to talk anymore. Um, <laughs> I have some okay. honorable mentions, if you like. No, no, it's okay. We're, we're, we actually are going to hit like exactly the time I wanted to with this, because I'm not talking. Which is, I have to tell you, the thing I like most. I, 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 I just realized one that I like that came out, so I could talk about it at the top, but I won't, I won't do two. Um, I'm happy to, I'm happy to not be last. So, um, yeah, Outer Wilds, go, go ahead, Paul. This is, uh, this is a, a masterful game. Yeah. Well, um, I, I this is, uh, I guess most people are, are vaguely familiar with it and it's a game where you start off on one planet and then you launch yourself into space and there's a small solar system with various other planets for you to explore and kind of uncover a story, I guess, in the, in the space of doing so. But, what I really like about it is um, I've played lots and lots and lots of games about exploring big spaces. Um, Outer Worlds isn't particularly big, but instead you're kind of, it feels like you're exploring in other, uh, in other ways. So there's, for example, there's like the, the intricacy of the spaces. Like there's a, a, a lot of, um, uh, focus on finding out how things work in a very intricate way. Each planet has different kind of rules and strategies for engaging with it. So every time you get to a new place, it feels like you're exploring like a new idea. You're also exploring things in time as well as space. Um, so you're exploring spaces in time because the, the universe resets every 22 minutes, I think. 22 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, what I love about that, about that and the way it kind of works and the way it tells its story is like, it really gives you the space to play around in the sandbox and takes away any sort of like frustration or negative outcome from your choices because you make the choices and you just kind of figure out the structures. And then at the end, you kind of use all your knowledge to, to kind of complete a loop effectively. Um, that is the best way I can say it without giving away the, the, the game, but it just is, it's so smart with how it tells a story and it's so smart with how it, takes away the typical sort of like gamer brain problems, which is like, Ooh, what if I can't do this in the future? Maybe I shouldn't do this now. Or like, Ooh, what if this, like, what if this hurts my character somehow in a way I can't fix? Um, It takes all that away. And all you're left with is just like pure experimentation. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, there's so many, 
like when you get to Dark Bramble, for example, mm-hmm. and you realize that it's that was a moment for me where it's like, okay, now the rules of physics have changed, and you're <laughs> right, going to have yeah. to work out how to navigate quantum space. It's just like what every uh, there's so much unexpected stuff that you're running into all the time, and I just feel like there's a like a lot of games try to make us feel like there's so much possibility just by getting bigger. So like the, the mm-hmm. horizon's always the space for possibility. Whereas this game, and, and quite often you go over that horizon and you, you find kind of repetition. I think yeah. of like No Man's Sky, for example, which is effectively infinite, but I feel like it doesn't take that long of playing the game to know what is coming in the infinite (laughs) sure well that's procedurally generated stuff in general yeah sure of course yeah but but um with this the the, it even though it's quite small it feels packed with that possibility just because of how many ideas it has and yeah like we said just being able to explore in space as well as time and yeah that's just something i really appreciate nice yeah, the one thing I'll say about Outer Wilds before I before I give my my last one and then and then uh, put it back to Lana and then Paul for their number ones is uh, the ending. I feel is one of the only endings that takes on like a super broad, difficult narrative kind of like metaphysics and existentialism thing, and actually pulls it off. Um, it's a really good ending, uh, which is not something I almost ever say. Um, it's something when I had the people on to talk about it, I had the, a couple of the creator, the writers and, and developers on to talk about it, uh, Kelsey Beecham and Alex Beecham. Um, basically I just said like over and over and over again, Hey, like, how did you nail the ending? Like, that's so cool that you nailed the ending. And like that, I feel like it's a game that you really should play and finish. Um, if you haven't yet, it's, it's absolutely worth your time. Um, the one other game that I will talk about uh, that I actually forgot was released in 2019, but I did love, um, and, and maybe not a top five love, but a love uh, for it is um, uh, Baba Is You. Um, uh, okay. I thought Baba Is You was great. Uh, I thought it was a really fun puzzle game. I thought once it gets to the hard parts, it gets a little too hard at times, but... It was too much for me. I had to... I just couldn't do it. I, I did enjoy... Hmm? I don't think I've seen this. Baba Is You? Oh, it's great. Yeah, this is up your alley. It's, really? Uh, I, uh, I feel almost, like, uh, neglectful that I've missed it. <laughs> it came out and was, like, a, a big deal for a little bit, and I think it was just a, such a big year for games that people kind of, like... And also people bounced off of it because it is difficult. Because the whole premise of the game is you are kind of messing around with the world in sort of programming language. Like, you change, yeah. like, you can move is around, and then it's like... Instead of Baba is you, Baba is flag, and then the flag becomes Baba, or like you is flag, and then the flag is the avatar for the player. And so like it's this really interesting linguistic challenge, and it gets very hard. But um, I will also say that I don't think I felt as satisfied with the game as when I finished some of these puzzles. Like just like satisfied with myself and very pleased with how I did and stuff like that, just proud. Um, so yeah, no, it's good. It's 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 very fun. If you like puzzle games, you'll like it. Uh, there's also just still a risk, of course, of just like bouncing off it completely. But I think it's like a ten dollar, twenty dollar game. It's not much. Um, it sounds like it, something Wittgenstein would really like. It is, yeah. He would get. He would be so into it. We wouldn't hear from Wittgenstein after March. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, Lana, you're number one. Well, I already gave my number one. 
because I I I snaked around. So my number one was Hypnospace. So my my five were were Zell, Ten Beautiful Postcards, Fight Grab, Goose Game, and Hypnospace Outlaw. Oh, okay. Well, then we did your number one. Yes, I'm sorry. but I do have a couple of honorable mentions that I can throw out okay. there. Do it. Uh, there's the White Diner by Hawk Sandwich that was made for a jam. It's real short. Uh, it's just sort of a walking sim, uh, but it's real neat. Uh, it's got a really cool aesthetic. Uh, the music's really nice. It's uh, kind of a it's kind of creepy. Uh, it's sort of uh, like a horror game where you're in this diner. This where this like creepy guy kind of looks like Riff Raff from the Rocky Horror Picture Show um runs the place and you you walk through the store and you're walking through this you know this one big long corridor and on either side of it there's all these like really it looks like garbage assets that have just kind of been thrown out into the world and you can kind of just look out onto them and um it's very enigmatic um and it's very um not so much like actively like scary there's no real jump scares or anything like that it's just kind of like um kind of like a psychological thriller uh, and it's kind of neat. You come back through the diner, the place is covered in blood, you don't know what happened, and it kind of ends up, ends there. It's neat. It's really cool. It's very surreal. Um, there's, uh, Song of the Lost by Paloma Dawkins. Um. Oh, cool. Which is, uh, she, she's this really cool artist, animator, who, uh, has won a bunch of awards, um, and who, she made, uh, Oceanarium and Dream Warrior, and those are really neat, and you should check them out, but, uh, Song of the Lost is sort of like... You're kind of in like this um, limbo state. Um, it, it has a feeling of kind of being a sort of a, a post-death uh, scenario that's like presented as um, it's pre- it's presented as like a computer program, but feels like a this is the sense I get of it. I haven't played all of it, but I played a little bit of it. It feels like a kind of like really cool purgatory slash nightclub. Oh, nice. It's really, and her, her animation style is very uh, unique um, and very distinctive and very, like, uh, very colorful and very, like, um, there's a lot of, there's just, like, uh, it's maximalist. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and the last one, I, I just wanted to give a shout out to it. I couldn't get it to work on my laptop, but I really like the developer. It's called Desert Mothers okay. uh, by Aaron Oldenburg. And Aaron Oldenburg has this, again, this really weird, very, very different uh, animation style he uses a lot of like tank controls and stuff like that. So you, there's a, there's a real feeling of like disembodiment with the characters that you play. Um, cool. Like uh, it almost feels like you're kind of detached from the character when you play. Um, it's very easy to get a feeling of disorientation and he'll use a lot of like very low poly, uh, like the, the, the landscape will be very low poly, but it just has like a very uh, interesting level design. Um, so it like, it almost has like lawnmower man type of graphics, <laughs> but it's very cool and like, uh, very, uh, very compelling. Um, and there's this other game he made that I, I reviewed a while back called show am that is set at the burial site of Pol Pot. Oh, okay. And you're just walking around the burial site of Pol Pot and it's very, very cool. Nice. Check out all those. Okay. Well, we're big Pol Pot fans on this podcast. Just <laughs> um, I, keep sa- I keep saying this. We keep saying it over and over, and people keep thinking I'm joking for some reason. Um, all right, Paul, you're number one. Uh, number one is Disco Elysium. Ah, good one. Did, okay. Did either of you play it? I haven't played I've it yet. Heard of I, it. I have okay. it, and people keep saying that I need to play it, that it's like one of the best written games of ever. Um, 
So yeah. I, I I have it. I bought it. I will play it soon, but not yet. Well, it's a detective game, uh, as you well, you might remember, Trev. I, I, I like do. detective games. Well, um, yeah, and, and this is why uh, Sean from uh, No Chorus was also saying, like, oh, maybe I should play this game. Like, it's, it's <laughs> like both both of you were just like, oh, I love detective games. I was like, yeah. both of them are going to love Disco Elysium. Yeah. So, I mean, the basic thing is you're you're trying to solve a murder, but what makes it interesting is you have, like uh, a lot of RPGs, you have skills, but these are things like uh, logic, empathy, perception. So they relate to like how you can solve the case. So obviously, if you've got high logic, then you can spot logical inconsistencies. If you have high empathy, you can kind of... Uh, you pick up on how people are feeling when you speak to them, which which helps you, you know, navigate the conversations. But um, each of those skills has a, a personality, effectively. They're their own characters. So they will be um, kind of speaking in your head as you're talking. And the more points you invest in different skills, the more prominent they'll become. So if you invest a lot in logic, it will uh, crop up more and more. Um, and they each have personalities which kind of fit in with that skill. So like logic, as you might expect, can be a bit aloof and kind of arrogant. <laughs> so if you... you, you can with kind logic? Of go, oh. <laughs> you can kind of go also go too far by investing points in them to the point where they become a hindrance. Mm. So they also they become a way of kind of constructing a personality for your detective as much as like skills that you use to... Um, navigate the game if you see what i mean that's cool would you say that you could be defeated by your own logic (laughs) (laughs) you could be defeated by your own logic yeah so yeah and it's it's yeah i mean there's some weirder skills like uh inland empire is kind of like a lets you um pick up on i don't know how to describe that kind of it's kind of intuition i guess but then it's it's attracted to kind of mystical um, theories and ideas so again the more you invest in it it will kind of draw you towards certain things so it's an incredibly variable in terms of what experience you're going to get in terms of how you build your character but I just think it's a very unique way of using a skill system um, yeah. and yeah put, it, it uh, outputs all kinds of all interesting things also really i think the politics of it is really interesting um it appears quite cynical in the beginning and i think quite early on can feel like it's doing the both siding thing uh which i don't think it is but it's got a kind of critique of communism uh bear in mind this is made by an estonian studio who obviously estonia would have lived through actual communism so it's understandable that they would have a critique of that brand of communism but it's also very critical of um it's got an ideology called moralism which is effectively like liberal capitalism or centrism and it's kind of so it's kind of um critique as those as a lot of those countries would feel i think critiquing the old communism but also expressing a profound disappointment with what followed Mm, and it's consistently highlighting the kind of hypocrisy exploitation and kind of deep-rooted connections to colonialism that um this centrist ideology has uh, and you i don't think you see that kind of political uh ideology critique that much in video games so that's nice to see but 
as well as I, I don't think it because when you go down that route, I think it'd be very easy to get to this cynical place where like all politics is just bad because you know the, the communists are bad and the the uh, capitalists are bad and so on and so forth. But it, it I think it tries to detect moments of kind of um, genuine solidarity in um, the communist faction, which is kind of it has elements of that old communism like corruption and so forth but you can i'm not going to like explain stuff that happens in the game obviously and spoil it but you can detect like things of value in it and i think Mm. it does kind of have a kind i i well i came out of it feeling like it had a kind of hope uh i hope it's not the wrong word like it, it it believed it believed in politics and ideology while at the same time being able to criticize the ideologies that it does which i think is sometimes hard to do i think an anarchist would love it it sounds like a very anarchist game what's yeah. amazing what's amazing about disco elysium though i think in and and maybe this just shows my own sort of lack of faith in our in our various communities uh which isn't isn't nice but uh um it's wild that a game that was basically known for only having uh like the chapo guys as voice actors Ended up like I mean they've been on my show I'm I'm friends with them I'm not trying to say anything bad but like the I mean that is not a great pitch just like these are the voice actors that's not a great pitch for politics and it's amazing that out of like any game uh, like serious politics people I've seen have been like yeah actually this is like pretty smart um, so yeah no I, I I'm very excited to play it I'd like to try it very soon I um, I've heard everything Paul has been saying there and I'm yeah I'm I'm excited to try it. Yeah, it's cool. So I learned a lot today. I hope I hope you guys learned a lot too, and I hope the listeners learned a lot. Um, thank you for being on, and 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 thank you for having me. Depending on where you're listening to this podcast, um, Lana, where can people find your work? You can find my stuff at uh, Twitch.tv/slash/TheFreakMuseum. I think it's changed to that now. Uh, Never can tell with Twitch. Yeah, uh, they wouldn't let me change my own name because the account was too new. I'm so sorry I tried to use your website. Uh, <laughs> How dare you, first off. Uh, I have a website that I update sporadically called Sufficiently Human. I have a Patreon uh, slash Lana Polanski. That's my name. Please give me money. Uh, <laughs> Please give Lana money. Come on. And just kind of various other mostly art magazines like Rhizome and Kaleidoscope and um, whatnot that I I sometimes write for. Um, So I'm kind of all over the internet. Um, I'm on Twitter at Mechapoetic. My account is locked right now for reasons, but I'll probably (laughs) unlock it at some point. So once she does, you got to get that follow. She's uh, you got to get following her. She's a very, very good follow. Thank you. I, I clarified there because I don't want a bunch of people DMing you saying, hey, can you follow back? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll you probably, don't need the follow. You just I'll need to follow. I'll probably accept your request, like <laughs> probably, um, unless you're very obviously a hate follower. <laughs> you hate those obvious hate followers. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I just, on, I, you know, I, 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 I love it when a guy with like a NPC avatar, like a, you know, those that gray head <laughs> yeah. that has like mega twenty twenty, tries to follow you, and you're like, why? You're either angry or horny or both. Probably both. I mean, yeah. <laughs> for being honest, um, yeah. Don't don't accept those follows. I wouldn't either. I think that's a smart move. Don't let them guilt you into it. Uh, never, 
you're you're much you're much firmer than I am even um, for sure. Uh, Paul, where can people find your work? Uh, they could just Google Utopian Horizons and uh, yeah, find that podcast. I should also say um, what might be of more relevance. I will have a new podcast starting next year as well, cool. uh, which is about video games. More explicit, more explicitly. Wait a minute. About- <laughs> Well, but it's uh, it's different to yours, so it's fine. Hmm. Um, it's 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 specifically about objects in video games. Cool. So it's the idea is it's exploring games through the things in them. So, that sounds great. Yeah. So it's going to have episodes on stuff like keys and maps and stuff like that. And it's called Get Object, and it's not out yet. But there, but there is a a, a Twitter page sitting there with no tweets um which is get object pod so if that sounds like something that you're interested in then follow that and there's already one episode episode recorded and we're going to record a couple more and then start releasing them next year so that and yeah utopian horizons for all things utopian and dystopian including trevor talking about snatcher that's right yeah and hopefully soon talking about something else if i can manage to get myself (laughs) together um thank you lana thank you paul for being here this is really fun for me oh, wait wait a minute you haven't told you haven't told people oh yeah can sorry you, uh, you can find me at <laughs> i hate doing this uh I always that's why i always ask other people to do it um i'm at hegelbon on twitter h-e-g-e-l-b-o-n and you can listen to no cartridge uh recently tweeted about today by the by the shitty gamer takes uh, uh account uh but in a nice way um and yeah no it's uh oh god so what were you saying i just said owned oh i thought i thought paul said something yeah i got owned i got owned because it said but i mean they said earnest gaming opinion here and then they but of course it was under a thing that said shitty gamer take so it's a little tough uh but no it's very nice of them um but yeah no cartridge kind of every anywhere you you look and there's there's good stuff on the patreon patreon.com slash no cartridge um i think lana we're supposed to do a patreon episode soon are we I, okay. I, I think we talked about that a while ago. Sure. I just remembered it now because I said Patreon and you were in the chat and I thought, man, that sounds familiar. Um, I know we, we did one already. Yeah. Did we do one already? Oh, well, okay. We well, did, we did a non-Patreon one and then a Patreon one. Okay. So we did that. So there's one. You did mention uh, doing it again at some point, but no fixed plans. Well, at some point, I bet both Lana and Paul will be on there. Um, they are both on the main, main feed already. Um, there's a lot to listen to. So thank you for for listening. Thank you, and and uh, let us know your your top games. I'm I'm interested to hear other people's top games. This is always yeah. a fun part of the year for me. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So long. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Hey, thanks for listening to No Cartridge. If you'd like to support us further, please consider going to patreoncom cartridge or for a one-time donation, PayPal.me/slash. Hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. It's really, really helpful for all of us to be able to support uh, the many people who make the show, uh, you know, myself included, but also our producers and various co-hosts um, and, and writers and artists. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, any of those things that would let other people get the quality video game analysis that you've grown accustomed to.